Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. However, I am unqualified for my job as I am and have always been an enthusiastic amateur. Today we are going to be discussing Chapter 8 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. In Chapter 8, Lizzie and Jane stay at Netherfield and the Bingley sisters are catty. A theme that I thought appeared in this chapter of the novel is the education of women. This is where Elizabeth, Miss Bingley and Mr Darcy have that conversation about an accomplished woman. No one can be really esteemed accomplished who does not greatly surpass what is usually met with. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing and the modern languages. Besides all this, she must possess a certain something in her ear and manner of walking, the tone of her voice, her dress and expressions. This is Miss Bingley. And then Mr Darcy adds, To all this, she must yet add something more substantial in the improvement of her mind by extensive reading. Even modern education standards, this is absolutely ridiculous to expect someone to know all of these things, which Elizabeth points out. I'm no longer surprised that you're knowing only six accomplished women. I rather wonder now at your knowing any. And I have to agree with her. Even Mary, who studies quite hard for her accomplishments, doesn't fit in here. It could be argued that Miss Bingley is a product of her education, that she was taught to marry a man of higher rank than herself, and that is why she is quite bitchy. She's trying to describe Elizabeth to Mr. Darcy at one point, but really it's a description of herself. She describes it as one of those young ladies who seek to recommend themselves to the other sex by valuing their own. In my opinion, it's a poultry device, a very mean art. Of course, this isn't lost on Mr. Darcy, who says, There is meanness in all the arts which ladies sometimes condescend to employ for captivation. Whatever bears affinity to cunning is despicable. Miss Bingley is smart enough here to be not so entirely satisfied with his reply. We see the insincerity of the Bingley sisters. On hearing how sick Jane was, they repeated three or four times how much they were grieved, how excessively they disliked being ill themselves, and then they thought no more of the matter. Which their indifference towards Jane were not immediately before them restored Elizabeth to the enjoyment of her original dislike of them. And then at the end of the chapter, that's at the very start, um, when Elizabeth says that Jane has got worse, Bingley was quite uncomfortable. Her sisters declared that they were miserable, but then they go on to have duets after supper and don't seem to think about it very much. Bingley seems to be the one who's only really affected and actually cares about Jane and Elizabeth. The others are a bit selfish. You've got to feel for Elizabeth being stuck in this house. She goes downstairs to see the family in the drawing room when it appeared to her rather right than pleasant. She feels that she still has to follow society's rules even though she is there to look after her ill sister, not to socialise. There is a lovely description of Mr Hurst here. Elizabeth sat next to him. He was an indolent man who lived only to eat, drink and play at cards who, when he found her to prefer a plain dish to ragout, had nothing to say to her, which is just kind of adorable. He is who he is, and he doesn't apologise for that. 
I mean, he's probably not a fun person to hang around. But if you're really into gambling and eating, he sounds like he'd be a good time. My book has a note explaining what a ragout is. A dish usually consisted of meat cut in small pieces, stewed with vegetables and highly seasoned. This is one of several examples of the Hearst sophisticated metropolitan tastes. The Miss Bingleys are very differently city ladies, whereas Elizabeth is a country girl. The Bennetts family's position is discussed by the Netherfield party. Their uncle is an attorney in Meryton, and Mr Bingley says that they have another one who lives near Cheapside. And Bingley says if they had uncles enough to fill all Cheapside, it would not make them one jot less agreeable. And Darcy points out the quite obvious thing that he's ignoring. It must very materially lessen their chance of marrying men of any consideration in the world. Although the Bennets themselves are not middle class, which so often gets misconstrued that they are, which bugs me a lot, you can tell, they have relation to a middle class, which does drag them, drag them down, whereas Darcy is a member of the landed gentry, but his family are members of the landed aristocracy, so they're one step above. So his family is sort of the upper, upper class, and you could say that Elizabeth's family is heading towards the lower end of the upper class because... They have relations who are in trade. And it's an amusing conversation to have with the Bingleys because their money is made via trade just because they're no longer in trade and are living off the proceeds of trade still, though. They are not landed gentry, and there are some people that would look down on that. It's interesting for Darcy to be a snob about this, considering that he does want Bingley to marry his sister, not that we find that out until much later in the book. They also discuss, again, the possibility of Charles building a house and becoming landed. But because he's not really set on the idea of it and his easy temper, we don't know whether that will actually happen. Or we do know in this book, at the end, he purchases a property not too far from Pemberley. He's just so lovely, really. He says, how young ladies can have patience to be so very accomplished as they all are. I scarcely know anyone who cannot do this, and I'm sure I've never heard a young lady spoken of for the first time without being formed that she was very accomplished. I think we'll find Elizabeth isn't terribly accomplished. She can play the piano, but not terribly well. But she has such a lovely personality that it really overrides all of that sort of thing. And that is my summary of Chapter 8 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and I wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!